if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Indeed, and hour number two is underway. <clears throat> Thanks again for being with us at uh, nine minutes past 10 o'clock as we continue on this Thursday. It's the 22nd morning of the 10th month of the year of our Lord 2020. If you just turned on the radio for the first time today, yes, uh, I'm trying to figure out how to do this again. <laughs> trying to remember how to do this. It's been uh, about nine days actually since I've been on the air, and I want to say thank you again to uh, Rob Walgate. And also to Khalid Namar, good friends and good stewards of uh, of this show. And uh, they've done a remarkable job of filling in for me during my illness. Still not 100%, obviously, if you, if you can uh, tell by the sound of my voice, but working our way back into this thing. And I appreciate you being with us today. Phone lines will be open again at 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. But first... It is Thursday, and that means it's time to catch up on some unfinished business. I did not get to talk last Thursday with Dr. Everett Piper because of my illness, and it's so good to hear, uh, will be so good to hear his voice once again on AM 1420, The Answer. Dr. Everett Piper, former university president, um, best-selling author, uh, columnist for The Washington Times, and yes, he is a radio host in Oklahoma as well. Dr. Piper, good to have you back. How are you? Well, it's great to be on. I trust you're on the mend, I, I, and I pray that you will be. Thank you, and your prayers are very well received. I appreciate that. Um, okay, Dr. Piper, before we get into some of the news um, that you have been writing about, and uh, I'm just kind of curious about the debate tonight. Um, are you going to be invested, uh, and do you think this is something that is going to have any kind of an impact whatsoever on the uh, direction of this country moving forward? In other words, do you think any votes will be decided based on what we hear tonight? I'm skeptical that anything is going to change at this at this time. I know that we always hear that there's there are people that are going right up until the final day before the election. They haven't made up their mind. I just find that incredible. I don't know how you could be in that camp, honestly, whether it be this election or previous elections. I mean, if you're an informed consumer of the news, if you are an educated citizen, how can you not understand the huge, huge difference between these two political powers? Uh, that was a Freudian slip because I'm thinking of the Democratic Party, which the Democrat Party, which is a party of power, telling us all how to live our lives, imposing more laws upon us, more regulations, more restrictions, more oligarchical, oligarchical arrogance, where they're actually telling us everything 
from uh, what foods to eat and how to go about our daily lives, what businesses we can frequent, what we have to wear when we go into a business, and actually what bathrooms we can or cannot use. That's the Democrat Party versus the Republican Party, which is a party of the Constitution and of the covenant that promises us human freedom. There's a huge difference. Will tonight's debate make any difference in the outcome? Um, actually, I would hope that it wouldn't, because I would hope people would already understand that these huge differences exist between these two disparate parties. Um, I don't know. If Donald Trump really hits a home run, maybe. But I'm not a huge fan of Donald Trump's debate style. If Joe Biden actually sticks his foot in his mouth and goes into a fit of dementia, which could happen, maybe because they silence the mic and just let Joe ramble on, maybe people will be scared out of their wits and recognize that it's not Joe Biden who is the presidential nominee because it won't take five months before his own party will declare him unfit to serve because of his dementia and Kamala Harris will become president of the United States. So that was a long-winded yeah. rabbit trail, I suppose, to try to tell you where I am. No, no, I, uh, I I agree with a lot of that. I uh, I don't have high hopes for this for the president tonight, uh, and I think it's because the deck is stacked against him by Kristen Walker. Uh, they are not um, uh, going to make this about foreign policy, which of course it is supposed to be traditionally. The third debate is about foreign policy, and that of course would force uh, Joe Biden to answer questions about his son and the myriad reporting being done by the New York Post about um, his dealings, his corrupt dealings with China, with Ukraine, with Kazakhstan, and other uh, foreign uh, countries that have enriched the Biden family uh, while he was selling access to the vice presidency, if not to the presidency, uh, when he served with Barack Obama. So uh, I don't have a lot of high hopes for this thing tonight. Let's talk about the Democrats. You just started to delineate the difference between the Democrats and the Republicans. It's about two weeks ago now, uh, 12 days, you wrote uh, for the Washington Times that the Democrats are a party of hate and death, and they openly admit it. And if you look at a lot of what you covered... Uh, and that is some of the extraordinary responses by, by Democrats publicly assigning their names to death wishes for Donald Trump and for Melania Trump when they were both diagnosed with uh, COVID-19. Um, it, it doesn't stop there, but it really doesn't have to go any further, does it? To just, I mean, to, the, the, the idea that the politics of this country, in particular Democrat politics, would lead someone to openly wish for the death and the suffering of, of another human being because of their differences ideolo- ideologically, it really does kind of underscore your point about the party, doesn't it? Well, it does. And when I wrote that title, I thought everybody's going to be thinking I'm going to be talking about pro-life, pro-choice. And indeed, the Democrat Party is a party of death when it, when it supports and celebrates the murdering of the most innocent among us, dismembering their bodies and selling those body parts for profit. That surely is a party of death. But that isn't what I wrote about. I wrote about the actual statements that these Democrat leaders were making where they were celebrating Donald Trump's contraction of COVID-19 and openly hoping that he would die, openly posting that I hope the man dies. And there there were tens of thousands of those tweets. But here are a couple tweets that I found most stunning. Dick Costolo, the former CEO of Twitter, tweeted this. He said, if you are not aligned with the social justice movement as a businessman or businesswoman, you, quote, will be the first to line up against the wall and be shot. And I will happily provide video commentary. He actually tweeted that, that if you don't goose step with 
BLM, critical race theory, and the social justice uh, narrative of the day, you will be the first to be lined up against the wall and shot in the revolution, and he will happily provide video commentary. He tweeted that, and that has been fact-checked. That is a fact. And then you have the publisher of Jacobin Magazine, Bushkar Sukara, who, and the Jacobin Magazine is the intellectual center of the political left right now. Very prominent and very influential. He tweeted, I have no difficulty with the execution of little Romanoff children. He tweeted that. So these people are admitting that using death, if you will, as a means to political ends of the revolution is something that they are going to openly discuss. And then you had Keith Olbermann's rant where he called upon Amy Coney Barrett and Bill Barr and all who support and voted for President Trump to be rounded up and expunged and eliminated from society. What does that mean? These people are frightening in their rhetoric. Well, as I said, what's what's really frightening about it, Dr. Piper, is that these are not anonymous Twitter users. Because, you know, oftentimes we'll see uh, people with pseudonyms on Twitter and they'll say some of those vile, reprehensible things because they know they can't actually attach their names to it. The, you're, you're reading their names and there are more individuals online who literally are saying these things. And I mentioned about President Trump wishing death upon President Trump and, and the First Lady. There are actual, you know, celebrities or well-known individuals here who are saying the things that you're talking about, and they have no fear of repercussions. They have no fear of being held accountable or held uh, responsible for this, perhaps by their employers or by anyone else for that matter. They feel so emboldened and so confident that they have the majority position here, that, that the majority of Americans want to, to execute people who don't think the, the way that they do. They feel enough to, you know, strong enough to put their names on it. Well, and here's the thing. The defense for these people is that they were just being hyperbolic. It was metaphorical, it was, and it was an analogy. Okay, it was kind of like somebody saying, hey, you're in the crosshairs, we're going to put you in the crosshairs. Well, we didn't really mean we're going to aim a rifle at you with the intent of shooting you. They're going to claim that. But this is so over the top. Lined up against the wall and shot? I don't have any trouble executing the little Romanoff children? You're going to be rounded up and ex- Sponged and eliminated from society. This is over-the-top rhetoric. And remember this, Richard Weaver wrote, wrote in 1948, ideas have consequences. Ideas have consequences. And these are the ideas that they're expressing. They are softening up the political discussion for the use of violence to accomplish political ends. Let's bring faith into this now, Dr. Piper, and let's talk about your most recent column, which uh, involves uh, evangelicals, evangelical leaders who have endorsed um, this very same Democrat Party with the same sort of hate and uh, uh, desire for death and desire for the expungement of people from society if they don't goose-step along, etc. Um, how, do, how do these evangelical Christians, how do these believers in life, how do these believers in the tenets of the, of the faith, how do, they find, how do they justify lining themselves up with these people? Well, it's because uh, Orange Man bad, really. They've got such Trump derangement syndrome that they can't separate Trump's bad behavior, which I've acknowledged a thousand times on your show and otherwise. They can't separate that bad behavior from incredibly bad policy of the Democrat Party. 
Donald Trump's juvenile behavior at times doesn't matter if his policies and the way he governs honors human dignity and freedom. And they do. They do. He does not compromise your religious freedom. He does not compromise your economic freedom. He does not compromise your constitutional freedom by his bad behavior. But these pro-life evangelicals, because they're so appalled with Donald Trump's uh, arrogant tweet, and they are at times. I'm sorry, folks. Donald Trump just needs to stay away from Twitter, and he'd be winning in a landslide right now. That aside, we need to confront our Christian brothers and sisters and say, wait a second, how can you endorse a political party and claim you're a pro-life evangelical when that political party is against life and against evangelicals? You're out of your mind to think that this will end well, and that's what these evangelicals are doing. They've decided to elevate their distaste for Donald Trump's style and temperament as if that is a moral equivalent to killing little children and dismembering their bodies or expunging people that disagree with the progressive left from society and from culture or with killing the Romanov children. I mean, my land, this is where these evangelicals are. They can't even see the moral distinction between these arguments. Okay, it is 1025. I think we had a little bit of a power surge there. Something happened where I couldn't hear Dr. Piper at the very end of the segment, but um, I do understand we have him back now. So, Dr. Piper, are we all good? Yeah, I'm good to go. <laughs> you scared me. I thought maybe we lost you for a second. Yeah, well, we did, but uh, not in that way. <laughs> the uh, power, <laughs> little power surge or power outage or something here, but I did see everything reboot on the fly, so something like that happened. Dr. Piper, I wanted to give you an opportunity to address a different issue. You didn't write about this, but you brought it to my attention last week. We were actually going to talk about it then. Um. I'm I'm almost at a loss. I'll let you read as much or as little of this version of the 23rd Psalm uh, as you wish. Uh, But just to set it up, at a choir concert last Sunday at Mid-American Nazarene University, I'm not sure where that is, um, but they, they did a version of the 23rd Psalm. And this is apparently what is going on in some of today's Christian colleges. Um, to say that it's disturbing, again, is, is to say the very least. And I'm just going to let you take it and do what you will with this, because I think this is going to be upsetting to a lot of people. Go ahead. All right. First of all, I'll answer your question where Mid-American Nazarene University is. It's in Olathe, Kansas. It's one of the, I okay. think, five or six Nazarene universities. Nazarenes would be of the holiness tradition like the Wesleyan Church, the Free Methodist Church. It's an evangelical church that has been um, known for its stand for personal holiness. Um, one of the mantras of the holiness church a hundred years ago was holiness unto the Lord. In other words, you set yourself apart, you're sanctified for obedient holy living unto the Lord. Okay, so that's the Holiness Church, evangelical, Bible-believing uh, tradition and church. Well, Mid-American Nazarene University had a concert on its campus green a week ago Sunday. The reason it was outside is because of COVID, so it was a live concert, and one of the songs that was performed at this particular concert was a rendition, and I use that word 
uh, with a eye, with my eyebrow raised, a rendition of the 23rd Psalm, The Lord is My Shepherd. Okay? The way this song goes, these are the lyrics, and I won't read the whole thing, there isn't time, but the Lord is my shepherd. She leads me beside still waters. She guards me. She protects me. She is my shepherd. It goes on and on. And then it ends through this rendition of the 23rd Psalm where God the Father has been emasculated by taking the masculine pronouns and masculine identity away from God and laying over the top of this paraphrase, quote-unquote, which is what the university ended up calling it. A paraphrase? A paraphrase. You've emasculated the first person of the Trinity, and you're calling it a paraphrase? Anyway, they conclude this 23rd Psalm by saying, in the name of the mother and the daughter and the holy of holies, as it was in the beginning, so it shall be forever. Amen. All right. If we can't agree that taking the first and second person of the Trinity and emasculating father and son and creating mother and daughter is heresy, where in the world are we? Now, here's the irony. Here's not irony. Here's the reality. When I posted my concern over this performance, numbers, numbers of Nazarene and Wesleyan and free Methodist pastors said, well, we think it's a beautiful rendition. Beautiful? What? Apparently, everybody in Western civilization right now has the right to declare their own pronouns other than God. Here's a fact. There are over 6,800 references to God in the masculine in the Old Testament alone. 6,800 references to God the Father in the masculine in the Old Testament alone. Do you know the number of times that God is referred to in the feminine? Zero. Zero. Is it not a fact that God incarnate, Jesus, the Son of God, the Word made flesh and dwelling among us, came to us in male form? He was the Son of God, not the daughter. Yes, that is a historical fact. How dare anybody who claims to hold tight to the Evangel, the good news of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, and the inerrancy of Scripture, issue a paraphrase which dumbs down God and emasculates and neuters him. Uh, and again, I conclude with this, Bob. If we can't agree that this is heresy, then where in the world are we as an evangelical church? Well, Dr. Piper, dare I ask you to perhaps be thankful for small mercies? At least they only changed it from the masculine to the feminine and not to the indefinable. At least it didn't say Z or XE or they or any of those things, because guess what? That's next, is it not? Oh, absolutely. And in fact, many of the people that tried to refute me basically ventured into that territory because they said, well, how dare you suggest that God is subject to gender? And I hate to be this graphic, but one person said, who told you that God has a penis? I mean, this is an asinine. This is ridiculous. That's not what anybody was claiming. We're claiming that God chose to define himself in the masculine. He's the one that revealed himself that way, and we should just honor it and accept it. Unbelievable. Well, I would say it's unbelievable, but not today. Not today. And someone, some of our most holiest of traditions, including those of the faith and those from the Bible, uh, can all be challenged and changed for the social justice, uh, you know, uh, cause of the day. It is simply, is simply astounding. Dr. Everett Piper, it's good to have you back, sir. Thank you so much. We'll talk again soon.
Blessings. Get well. Thank you. Working on that. It's 1031. We'll take a quick time out for news and come right back on AM 1420, The Answer. Attention, social justice warriors. If you're looking for a safe space where your delicate ears won't be offended, this isn't it. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420, The Answer. Do you have delicate ears? This is uh, probably the wrong place to be if you do, seriously. 1038 as we continue on AM 1420, The Answer. Thanks again for being with us. Thanks again to Dr. Everett Piper, who joined us uh, for the last uh, couple of segments. And again, we had a little bit of a glitch there, but glad we're able to work our way through that. Hey, did you hear this yet? Um, You know that I and many, many, many others have chosen to walk away from the professional sports world during the... um, you know, the woke Olympics that they seem to have going on. They're all competing to outwoke one another. And I'm talking about the NBA and talking about the NFL and talking about Major League Baseball and so forth. And um, the reason is obvious, as we've talked about. They've, they've politicized all of their sports. But the one thing that the NFL has continued to do, for the most part, is, you know, continued to promote its normal patriotic military traditions such as having the national anthem and the presentation of the colors, using the color guard. Sometimes there'll still be uh, flyovers uh, and things like that over games, military flyovers. So despite their, you know, their, their woke status, the NFL is still kind of, you know, for the most part, even though Roger Goodell, uh, the disgusting, reprehensible commissioner of, major, of uh, the National Football League, said that he wishes he would have listened to Colin Kaepernick much sooner, uh, that his kneeling for social justice was really the right thing to do. And, of course, everybody all got caught up in the, the summer of George Floyd and riots and race and so on and so forth, and they're all trying to bend over backwards now to appease the social justice warriors. But I didn't know that it would necessarily impact all elements of NFL broadcasts. If you didn't hear this yet, I'm going to play this for you. This was not something that was supposed to be on the air. They came back sooner than they realized from the commercial break. And announcers Joe Buck and Troy Aikman, prior to the start of the football game they were covering on Sunday, um, decided to comment, again, thinking they were off the air on the military flyover that uh, was not again, supposed to be on the air. They were supposed to be in commercial break. But unfortunately for them, the mic was hot. Did you hear this? That's a lot of jet fuel just to do a little flyover. That's your hard-earned money and your tax dollars at work. That stuff ain't happening with Kamala Biden ticket. I'll tell you that right now. Did you catch that? First voice you hear is Troy Aikman, the former quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys, three-time Super Bowl champion, Hall of Famer, and he's been an announcer for 20-some years, commenting on the flyover and about what a waste of jet fuel it is. Then you hear Joe Buck mockingly talk about how this is uh, our tax dollars at work. Then you hear Aikman come back in again with his political commentary one more time. That's a lot of jet fuel just to do a little flyover. That's your hard-earned money and your tax dollars at work. That stuff ain't happening with Kamala Biden ticket. I'll tell you that right now. 
That stuff ain't happening with the Kamala Biden ticket. First of all, I found it interesting that Troy Aikman used Kamala Harris's name first. Troy, Troy Aikman said it's a Kamala Biden ticket, not a Biden-Harris ticket, Kamala Biden. Challenge at work. That stuff ain't happening with Kamala Biden ticket. I'll tell you that right now. That is- so I want to I wanna ask a couple of quick questions about that. Number one, does this make you any more or less likely to watch NFL football, knowing this is the kind of stuff that they say when they think the microphone is off? Or is this just another example of, you know, their anti-American, anti-troops type of attitude? Like I said, they kind of go through the motions. They've still had their anthem or the anthem. Yes, a lot of players will kneel and a lot of other demonstrations, and they've got their Black Lives Matter messaging on the field and on the scoreboards and so forth. Number one, how do you respond to that? From their and this is their A team, by the way. Joe Buck and Troy Aikman are their number one go-to uh, announcing team. And then the other question is, what what do you think of what Troy Aikman said? Is he saying that the Biden Harris ticket, or in his words, the Kamala Biden ticket, would not approve of military flyovers any longer? Is that a statement about his understanding and belief? of their feelings about our military? I mean, I I just think about that. First of all, I know people are just offended. I was. You know, if you're a football fan, you're just offended by the fact that this is what they were saying, and then, uh uh-oh, busted, the mic was on. But what about the substance? You're not going to see that nonsense with a Harris-Biden ticket. If Kamala Harris and Joe Biden are in power, you're not going to see these what? These pro-military displays? I find that to be a really interesting analysis by Troy Aikman. Aside from the disgusting nature of their mockery of the flyovers and a waste of tax dollars, I find it really, really interesting that, that Aikman said, by the way, when the Democrats are in power, you won't have that anymore. Think about it. It's a lot of jet fuel just to do a little flyover. That's your hard-earned money and your tax dollars at work. That stuff ain't happening with Kamala Biden ticket. I'll tell you that right. That stuff ain't happening with the Kamala Biden ticket. I'll tell you that right now. Is that a good thing? Is it, did he mean it in such a way? Because you know those Democrats don't want any of this pro-military stuff. Not going to see any of that when they're there. Does he mean that in a positive way? Or does he mean that in a negative way? I don't know. But I find it really an interesting you know, thing to observe that the, the, the lead announcers on the NFL's number one broadcast team um, mock the military openly. Well, not openly. They thought their microphones were off. But they, they mock the military to one another and then pledge that the Democrats won't allow these military promotional things to go on anymore. It's a lot of jet fuel just to do a little flyover. That's your hard-earned money and your tax dollars at work. That stuff ain't happening with Kamala Biden ticket. I'll tell you that right now. I find that fascinating. 
Tanya in Akron, back on AM 1420, The Answer. Tanya, it's good to talk to you. Good to talk to you. Tanya, are you there? Hope you're doing well. Yeah, I'm here. Okay, yeah, we're a little delayed there, but I've got you. Go right ahead, Tanya. I hope you're feeling better. We all missed you. You had some great um, substitutes in while you were gone. Um, Yes, I did. What I wanted to talk about is that, you know, I'm not worried about the little stuff anymore, okay? Um, The thing that's the outlier that no one's talking about is the black male vote. The black male vote would not have voted for Hillary and will not vote for Kamala. She put them in jail. They're not on the radar right now. And with, with uh, Ice-T and with 50 Cent coming out, more black men are started jobs under the Trump administration, and they know they don't want anyone taking 60% of their dollar. They're going to stand up, and they're going to vote for their pocketbook. Young white males that have never voted before, are going to do the same. Men are starting to rise up. They're tired of, my husband would have voted, for, he voted for Barack. He's voting. He thought he liked Hillary, but wouldn't have voted for her. He's going to vote for Trump this year. Okay. Wow. And when I can hear that, and between Jordan Peterson and what Dr. Piper said, we have to learn, we have to have some faith that people are hearing things different. We don't need to, I don't like the way Trump talks, but what I understand is Trump is attracting males to think different. Not educated men, not the overeducated, like in the book of Corinthians, that they're so knowledgeable they don't know a damn thing, excuse me. But he's learning about people that are working hard, that want to run their families, and are listening to, and they're at work having people throw social justice down their, their throat, telling them they're less than. You know, it is it's going to be a, a surprise. It's going to wake everyone up, but we have to go back to the truth. Trump might not do well tonight, but I'm waiting. I want him to have the meet, hit people where, who are not listening, who have never voted before. Okay, they're registered, but they may have never voted before because they didn't think anything was going to change. But do they know they don't want Kamala Harris as president because she will lock them up again. They're already talking about if we don't agree with them, they're going to shoot us. Before I end, have you heard about the U.K. Parliament lady that uh, took down Black Lives Matter in the U.K.? I did not. On the floor. You need to check her out. She did it clear, concise, and she's a black member of parliament. Well, I will definitely look for that. But before I let you go, Tanya, I'm, I'm curious, because your first comment in your call was that black men are voting for Donald Trump. Um, two questions, actually. Number one is, what do black males have to see or hear from the president tonight in this debate that you think that will seal the deal for them? That's That's number one. And number two is, um, by what percentage would you say that? Because, you know, typically the Democrat candidate gets around 93% of the black vote. I don't know if that's 93% of the black male vote or just black vote overall. How much of that do you think is in jeopardy here where, where blacks in particular males are actually going to come over to the Trump side? 
if they get three to five percent of black male votes, that puts them under 90 percent. And they need everyone. They haven't changed any black women's minds. Black women want this are are power hungry just like everyone else. And they are they get the double dip where the black man gets nothing. They want to see an alpha man who will stand and believe, say what he means and mean what he says. People are tired of this political correctness where you're telling me to be a pansy. I'm just telling you the way it is. Okay? You know, you can't, you know, you're trying to make Jesus a woman now. Men are fed up. Black men are fed up more than anyone else. They, they may not be. like Trump. They don't like Trump, but he's the only one who's talking to them about them being having ownership of their own mind, body, and soul, where white president, you know, Romney, all of them, they didn't have, they were spying us. No one's going to follow, men want to follow a leader, whether they like the leader, how he talks to them, but they know he's leading them, they're taking them somewhere. This country has been, we've been following the wrong type of nicey, nicey, don't do what I say, don't make any rule, no, don't make any rough edges. Men are ready to come back and rule their families rule their businesses, and rule their homes without interference for the government. The number of people I know that are out doing things for survival now because they don't trust what's coming down the line will make a stand with their vote. Tanya, it I'm really... only has to be a couple of... <laughs> it only has to be a two or three move of black men. Tanya, I'm really glad you called, as always. I appreciate your honesty and your insight. Very, very well argued. Thank you so much for that phone call. It's 1051. We'll come right back and get it, get a couple more uh, in before we're done on AM 1420, The Answer. Killer on the road. Yeah. Okay, 1054, final segment of the broadcast. So good to be back on the airwaves with you. I know it hasn't been smooth the entire time, but um, working my way back. It'll be a, it'll be a little while before I'm 100%, but uh, I did want to get back on the air, and I want to again say thank you to Rob Walgate and to uh, Khalid Namar, who filled in so incredibly well for me during the time that I was down. Um, let's get uh, a couple more phone calls in. TJ in Cleveland. TJ, you're on AM 1420. The answer, go right ahead. Yeah, well, welcome back, Bob. And i got to say, Tanya, your call was outstanding. And I think we're very fortunate. Cleveland seems to have its own diamond and silk here. You're precious, Tanya. But the reason I called, Bob, these people on the left are pushing off uh, the buttons of civil war. If they think millions of armed Americans are going to sit around, sit back, and wait to be espunged, that sounds pretty bad. I've never been espunged. I think a lot of us are going to go out and do a little espunging of our own if this happens. They're really, they're really lighting a match here. And as far as this dope Aikman goes, I've watched football my whole life. I've watched sporting events. And if I'm not mistaken, during the Obama-Biden administration, I've seen many military flyovers. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Those are those are not new. Those are not new. Those are those are as old as as time. I mean, they've been doing flyovers f- football games for a really really long time. I have no idea. And he knows it because he played in the league for so long, and he had them flying over, you know, Super Bowls and things like that when he played. So I have no earthly idea why he would have been complaining about that. Yeah, I think he needs to be a sponge. Yeah, but I, I'm telling you, they're really playing with fire on the left here. 
I mean, I don't know where this is going to develop. And who's going to do the expunging? Our military? I doubt it. Our police? <laughs> I doubt it. What are they going to send? Some of our liberal neighbors to do it? I hope so. Yeah, uh, I'll tell you I, what, and thank you, TJ. I appreciate the phone call. Um, you know, it's... It, it is disturbing when you talk not only, you know, they talk about expunging people from, you know, if you're a Trump voter or if you don't march or how did how did Dr. Piper say it? If you don't goose step with them uh, to to find a way to expunge you and remove you from society. Um, it's not just a ton of talk. I didn't get a chance to get into this with Dr. Piper, but there's um, there's if you have not if you have not heard of and this can be like homework for tomorrow's show. If you have not heard of truth and reconciliation commissions, um, look that up. Let that be your homework for tomorrow. Truth and reconciliation commissions are being discussed on the left, which essentially would be holding public hearings to establish the impact of past injustices on a community or a country and what can be done to rectify those things. And essentially, we're talking about punishment of those that they believe perpetrated the wrongs. And of course, that would be anybody who supports Donald Trump because his existence is wrong. Canada has a Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Um, And the, the idea that this is something that could be brought to the United States to punish the enemies of the new power um, should, should terrify you, quite frankly. It does terrify me, and well, like I said, do a little homework on that. Look up Truth and Reconciliation Commissions and bring your questions about that tomorrow. Um, Diane is in West Park on AM 1420, The Answer. Diane, go right ahead. Good morning, Bob, and great to hear you again. I wish you 100% Thank you. wellness. Um, Thank you. I, you know, on that uh, flyover commentary, I could have sworn yesterday when I was listening to other shows that I heard the quote from the second commentator saying that wouldn't happen under a Harris presidency. I couldn't believe it when you heard, when when you said it. You said Harris, Bi- well, not when you said it, but when you put it on this morning, it said Harris Biden ticket. I could have sworn it said this wouldn't happen under a Harris presidency. And number two, no, Bob, it was I it was it was it was Harris Biden ticket. I heard it a few different places. It was always, it was always Harris Biden oh, ticket, which okay. you know means right. the same thing. Yeah. All right. Um, okay. Uh, just wondered if you heard the um, or saw anything about Pope Francis approving gay marriage and their inclusion in family life because they too are children of God. Saw that on my. Yeah, AOL I did see that. Page. I did. See yeah, I did see that too, and thank you for the phone call. Um, he, he, the one caveat there is he did not say marriage. He did not say marriage. He said same-sex civil unions, which you know c- can be just semantics. Depends on how you feel about it. But he did say that he believes in same-sex civil unions. That's something perhaps we can talk about on tomorrow's program as well. Stay where you are. Mike Gallagher is next. Thanks for having me back. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye bye.